Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, we're still in Jude. I'm going to start in Jude 4 again, and we're going to get through verse 7 today. And I, I, can, I really can identify with Jude. I had this nice December sermon series that I was going to preach about Christmas, and it was good. And I kept praying, Lord, this is, this is, this is Christmas time. We, <laughs> I want, you know, I, I read something, you know, last couple of weeks there was this big thing about um, uh, one of the lettuces, I forget, you know, National Recall, don't eat lettuce, and it was like, finally, the world caught up with me. You know, I've never seen a recall on cake, which tells me that, you know, you got a choice between lettuce and cake, eat cake. Well, Christmas is cake time, and it's not stern warning time, and God just would not, has not let me out, let me off on this. And, you know, the, the ministry rule in every Bible school, every seminary will teach you this. I step on your toes to the degree that God steps on my toes. And I've been limping all week. I mean, he, is, he has been on me hard this week about this, so uh, don't take it personal. But let's, let's start in Jude 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, this is you talking about the church, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, and these ungodly men do two things. They turn the grace of our God into lewdness or lasciviousness or basically anything goes. There is no sin when you get to the end of it. And they deny the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we went back and looked the last couple of weeks. There were seven times in, in um, Exodus where Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God, our God, has said, let my people go. But there was a proviso there, let them go that they may serve me in the wilderness. If you have a modern translation, it says that they may worship me in the wilderness. The whole purpose, and keep in mind, the deliverance from Egypt for us is a type of the new birth. The whole reason to get born again is not to get to heaven. The whole reason that God and, and, and wants us to get born again is... Because we, when we do get born again, we are in heaven. We are seated with Him in heavenly places. Paul tells us that in Ephesians. And we're to bring heaven to earth. That's our function. We do that by worshiping God. And then he, we went through verse 5 and 6. And I want you, I'm going to read through 5 through 7 uh, real quick. But I want you to notice this. And I, I really, God really dealt with me. This whole thing is, is he's showing us, and this is the warning for us, because this is, a, this is a direct warning about the end times, and not just, I realize the end times started with the resurrection, started on the day of Pentecost, somewhere in there. And different people argue when the church age started, we're in it. That's all I meant to me. But there is the end times, and then there's the last of the last of the last days. And it, you know, I don't have a date set for, um, I've, I've lived through at least half a dozen or more serious people believed this is when Jesus is coming back, and never one of them has been disappointed. 
we know we don't know the day or the hour but we do know the general season and we are really close in the general season part it is really close to when jesus is coming back and that's why this applies to us so much because i've said this before if you measure the the amount of stress the amount of of problems in the world the day before the rapture and the day after the rapture there will be virtually no difference for us great because i believe before the tribulation starts we're out of here we're going to heaven jesus is going to come back for us but the world will just know that a bunch of people have disappeared and it's going to we are things are going to gradually and gradually just get worse and worse in the world it's getting darker and darker out there the great news is in the church it can get lighter and lighter and lighter but this is jude's warning to us don't fall into these traps don't fall into these progressions because this is the great temptation of our age now again the good news is jesus looked down through all eternity and said i need a group of people that can handle it you know it's kind of like um you go into the service there uh, I, I forget how many men we had in in service during world war ii it was millions do you realize that that probably less than two three percent ever saw real combat fired their their guns in anger the vast majority of those people in in the service were supplying those people at the tip of the spear that were doing all the fighting it was it takes a huge organization to get a few men to fight god looked down through eternity and he said look i need a group of people for this last time and it's going to be really tough and he picked us you may think I'm just, there's just not much that to me. I don't, I don't, I'm not a great man of faith and power. I'm not a great woman of faith and power. Well, Peter said, you've got the same faith I got. You've got the same promises I've got. And I chose you for this time when things are really rough. You know, a part of me wants to say, thanks, Lord. You know, why couldn't I have lived in a real calm time? But then I also realize you know, I, I, we talked about this a little bit in men's prayer. And I don't really know if this is true, but I, 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 the principle, I think, is true. I've heard it said that in, in the Chinese language, the character for danger is also has a dual meaning of opportunity. It, and I've seen that in the Christmas season. Christmas is a wonderful celebratory time, but also the suicide rate skyrockets during Christmas. It can be the best of times. It can be the worst of times. The, when, when we have challenges, there are great opportunities in the midst of challenges, but only if you're ready to meet those challenges. If, if you're not ready to meet them, they will crush you. So I've always said Nietzsche was an idiot when he said, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. No, sometimes what doesn't kill you will cripple you. It's just a fact. But... He did have this right, and, and he wasn't, I don't think Nietzsche was a Christian. But if, if you meet the challenges through the power of God, you learn how to meet challenges, and then God can use you. And then things do get better and better. And maybe in the, your natural circumstances may not get better, at least right away. But you will get better. And that's the whole point. But, but Jude has given us a, a progression of things to avoid. Let's start in, in Jude, verse 5. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, 
that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The warning there and the progression there is if, if we leave faith, if we get to thinking that this, I'm doing this in my own strength, or this, this isn't really God involved in this so much, and there are a lot of temptations along that way, you will eventually get to the point where you're not believing or you just get so bent down with the circumstances and, and, and the problems of life that you get to a point where you just say, I can't fight anymore. And you give up and you quit and you get out of faith. And when you do that, you not only allow your circumstances to rule you, but you will get your eyes on your circumstances and on the world affair. And it, you don't have to look out very, very much to, to realize there are dark times out there. I mean, you know, we used to joke. I had a friend. We, we were, I wasn't teaching school, but, you know, kids always have weird ways of saying. And, and the, the, the term right there during when I was hanging out with this guy was they be crazy out there and they do be crazy out there. People are nuts. I mean, our world is crazy. Well, it may be crazy, but if we stay in faith, Jesus said, rejoice. I've overcome the world. It's, we've already won the victory. We just have to believe him to, to, to enforce that in our lives, but we have to stay in faith. If we leave our faith, we not only will the, will the world and the devil try to step on you and crush you, but you end up fighting against God. Verse 6, the angels did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, and he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. The angels, and this is talking about the fallen angels, the third of the host that fell with Satan, those angels basically forgot that they were called and created just to repeat what God said. And they decided in their own thinking because they followed Lucifer, Lucifer said, hey, I can put my throne above God's throne, because look at me, I'm pretty spectacular. And they decided that they had the right to start reproducing themselves, where you read in Genesis about the angels that came down and, and, and um, joined with, with righteous women, and giants were born out of that. That's a whole big controversial subject, and I'm not really wanting to get in there. The main point was these angels decided that our, God created us just to be his spokesman, but we are going to start recreating ourselves. We're going to reproduce ourselves and, and have offspring, whether it's literal or figurative. We're going to take how we are and make new beings. That wasn't their job, and God cursed them, they fell, he chained them up, and they are in chains to this day. And they will, they will only come out of those chains long enough to go before the white throne judgment and have God throw them in the lake of fire. They were judged. Thank God, as humans, God gave us grace. He gave us free will. So when we fall, we can tap into the, the gift of, that Jesus gave us, salvation, and we can come out and be part and, and, and part of God and be partakers of His nature. And His call on us as humans is that He has said, you 
are my children, and I'm calling on you to preach the good news and reproduce me in other people. Where the angels were cursed for reproducing themselves, we are commanded to reproduce ourselves. And, but the, the warning to us is, don't leave your job or your function. Don't forget who you are. You are called to reproduce your, your nature. Well, that ought to put the fear of God in you. What am I reproducing? Is this God that I'm reproducing, or is this my fallen nature I'm reproducing? It's, a, it's an unbelievable responsibility that we carry. And we're, we're, we live in an age where everybody wants to talk about their rights. I've got the right to do this and a right to do that. Well, Paul said it, nothing for me is sin, but not all things are profitable. Basically, Paul's statement, if you want to put it in the modern parlance, I got a right to do anything I want to do. But I can't do anything I want to do if I'm going to serve God. So I'm going to follow Him. And that restricts me. That puts huge restrictions on me. I, it, 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 and people chafe, especially us good Americans. Don't put, don't put restrictions on me. Well, we have responsibilities. It amazes me, and I, I, this isn't my subject, but I've been listening for the last six months a lot to a man named Jordan Peterson. Some of you may be aware of his YouTube talks. And he's not a Christian, but he believes in Christian principles. But basically, when you boil down his whole message, his whole message is to men particularly, but also to women. But his, the essence of his, of his message is you have responsibilities. Get off your rear end and start being a man. Do what you are called to do and be responsible for your own life. And he, by the hundreds and thousands of men, are, are flocking. Some of them are paying 200 bucks to sit in, a, to buy a ticket to sit in a, 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 a theater and listen to this man expound on psychology. And the whole message of his, of his, or the whole point of his message is grow up and be responsible. And I'm thinking, the church should have been preaching this. Well, in some cases, churches have been preaching this for 2,000 years. In some cases, we've gotten away from that message. But that is exactly the message of the gospel. You've got responsibilities. You represent God in this world. But if you get off your function, if you get out of your job, then you're going to start sliding, and you're going you're to go the wrong way. And then we get to verse 7, where we lose all restraint. Verse 7 says, As Sodom and Gomorrah... And the cities around them, in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange fle flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. His third example in these three verses, first was believers, they came out of Egypt, and then they lost their faith, and God said, okay, you get to die in the wilderness. He didn't reject them, they were still Israel, they were still His children, but they died without ever seeing the benefits of being his children. The second one is the angels. They got the big head, decided they had a better idea, and God put them in chains. Now he's saying the third example here are the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and when we look at that, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, and there, there were two other cities, which their names are escaping me at the moment, uh, in that plain. And if you remember the story... Um, a lot ended up in Sodom. 
because he and, and Abram, or Abraham, their flocks got so big that their, their herdsmen were fighting over grazing land. And so Abraham came and said, Lot, you choose. We got to separate, though, because we're just too prosperous. What a problem. We're too prosperous. He said, and, and here's the hill country, and there's the well-watered plain. You pick. You go to the plain, I'll go to the hills. You pick the hills, I'll go to the plain. You decide. And Lot looked at the plain and he said, hmm, life's easy down here. I'm going to go down here. Now, we, we, a lot of people look down on Lot, but remember in, in it, it, the New Testament talks about righteous Lot. Lot stayed a believer, and he had a witness in Sodom. A lot like Christians in the end times. We are called to, in, to be in the midst of sinful nation and in the midst of a sinful world and still stay righteous. But we are going to be tormented. Our souls will be tormented by what goes on in our culture. And we are called to change our culture, but we change it one person at a time by doing our job and being a, a witness to the power of Christ. But in this, when, when I look at this, I think, well, wow, that's as bad as it can get, right? Nope. I mean, God rained fire down on these on those cities, and they were utterly destroyed. And yet, that's not as bad as it can get. Go to Matthew chapter 11. We'll start in verse 20. This is Jesus speaking. Then he began to rebuke the cities. This is Jesus rebuking these cities, in which most of his mighty works, most of his miracles, had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, Capernaum was his headquarters. He, he, he lived, Jesus, during his ministry, lived in Capernaum and ministered from there in the, the region of Israel. So Capernaum saw more works than any other city. They were intimately, in fact, when Jesus went back to his hometown, they said, show us the works you've been doing in Capernaum. Because they'd heard about them. Everybody in Israel knew about Jesus and what he had done in Capernaum. He says, and you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Capernaum saw Jesus, saw his miracles, saw his work, and still did not repent. And he said, because Sodom and Gomorrah, they knew the truth. They were held to the truth because of, of Lot's witness. But you guys have seen more than, than, than Sodom did, and you haven't repented either. You think you're something, you know, you, you can drive to towns, you drive through Bedford, even to this day, they will have a sign on the edge of the town that uh, Damon Bailey, home of Damon Bailey. Why? Because he was a big star in, in college basketball and a short-lived flame out in NBA history. But they're proud of Damon Bailey. You go to, I forget the little town in Georgia, there'll be a big sign where it says, home of Jimmy Carter. Everybody that has a famous celebrity from their town, they post a sign and say, hey, this, is, this person lived here. Capernaum 
could have put up a sign and said, this is, this is where Jesus lives. And yet, they did not care. They just didn't care. I remember going to Bible school in Tulsa. And of course, you know, Oral Roberts was there, headquartered there with, and my last name's Roberts. Let me tell you, I got, I heard every Oral Roberts joke in the world. And finally, I had to come to a decision that it's not my job to defend Oral Roberts. I didn't get mad. I didn't lash out at him. It angered me. It's like, this man's trying to do a good work. And you bunch of heathens are just down on him and ripping him. And, and most of the jokes were pretty lewd jokes. And, but it's like, they've got Oral Roberts University. They've got Kenneth Hagin Ministries. T.L. Osborne was headquartered there in the time, because I'm going back to the 80s when I was there. They've got three major Christian ministries, and there were people in that town that hated Christians. And I'm thinking, I would have loved, I mean, we would go to the grocery and they're playing Christian music in the grocery store. You, you get, you, you know, you, you show just anywhere that you've got a problem, a thousand people just come out of the woodwork and we pray for you. I was like, well, yeah, okay. There was a great Christian witness, and, and, but the general public still rejected the message. <clears throat> Why? Because they had hard hearts. It's a dangerous place to be. Peter, um, Paul, in 2 Timothy, we went through these a few weeks ago. I'm going to start in, in verse 4. He's listing the, the, the quality or the traits of, of people during the last days. In verse 4, he says, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Uh, that word haughty literally means to um, be disdainfully proud. You have a disdain for Christians. That's a, that's a rough place to be because whether they're perfect or not, and they're not, none of us are. We all got our faults. We all get off sometimes and let our flesh rule us and especially rule that tongue. Um, but to have a disdainful attitude towards Christians, it's a dangerous place. He says, but this is the one I, I want to focus in on. Because he ends with this one, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He, he's speaking there, Paul's speaking there of Christians that they, they love God, but when, when they have life situations come up and they have to make choices, they choose, I can, I can give up my pleasure or, or I can do this for God. Pleasure wins out. And that's, we think of pleasure as, especially when you're reading verse 7 in Jude about Sodom and Gomorrah, you're thinking fleshly sins. But it can even be, it, it, it's not necessarily just that. It, it's taking the easy way out. And it runs the gamut from, you know, I'm tired, I don't want to pray, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to veg out and watch TV for a week, a day, a couple of hours, a month. And I saw a guy joke, he said, you know you're in trouble when your cheat day on your diet turns out to be three years long. Well, sometimes you're in, and let's face it, I've had days, you have, we all have days, where I'm just, I cannot take one more thought. My brain is tired. I'm going to sit down in front of this stupid machine and just veg out for the next couple of hours. Now, you can veg out on stuff that's neutral. You can veg out on stuff that's bad for you. But just that whole process of vegging out is taking the easy way out. It's, it's, it's seeking 
pleasure, it's loving pleasure rather than loving God. It's a choice. God's called us to fight the fight. There are no holidays. Just aren't. We're, you know, if you, you go back in history and look at the Battle of the Bulge, those guys were in a fight for their lives. They're surrounded. I forget who it was. One general said, wow, I got the enemy right where I want him. I can shoot any direction. I'm going to hit somebody. Well, we're surrounded. You just, you know, and you, there, you can't take a day off. You've got to keep your weapon handy. You've got to keep it clean. And you've got to be ready to fight. Because even though you think, I need some time off here, God, I need to veg out for a few hours. That's just the time the enemy says, yeah, okay, I'll come in. I'll, I'll, I'll get you. I'll put a, little, put a little fire dart in there. But, but it, it, it can, can do range from that to just pursuing money so that you can be comfortable and you can have the latest gadget. You know, I, I've heard this. I've never been in this position. But I've heard super rich people say, because people will say, why do you keep pushing and working 80, 90, 100 hours to earn more money? You're a multimillionaire. You can't, if you, try, if you just devoted your life to spending all your money on stuff, you couldn't spend everything you got now. Why do you keep doing this? It's like, because that's how I keep score. I'm thinking, Wow. When, when the most important thing to you becomes keeping score and having another status symbol, when, when it, your, your self-esteem is tied up to what kind of car you drive or, or what kind of clothes you wear, and nothing wrong with, don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with having a nice car, nothing wrong with having good, nice clothes. Everybody wants those. But when that becomes your aim in life, rather than figuring out what God wants you to do, you are on a slippery slope, and that progression will end in problems. Amen? Now, we were, Jude brought in um, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's interesting. Sodom and Gomorrah are um, mentioned in Ezekiel. And we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 16 and, and close this with this. Um, we look at, at, at Sodom and Gomorrah, and everybody, I mean, we've got, everybody knows the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodomy. Going after strange flesh, men having affairs with men, women having affairs with women, sexual affairs. And it's like, well, that's obvious. I know what the sin of Sodom is. Well, Ezekiel was a prophet to the, 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 the um, tribe of Judah and Benjamin because the northern tribes had already gone off and all that was left was Judah. And ben, or Ezekiel, man, you read Ezekiel, he's, he's rough. But the amazing thing about Ezekiel is you spend chapter after chapter, well, first Ezekiel starts by declaring the glory of the Lord. Man, I met God. I met, I met Jesus. And it was glorious. And then he goes in and he, he spends several chapters just reading Judah, the riot act. You guys, you are unbelievably, horribly decrepit and sinful. And then he just on a dime, he turns and, and spends the last half of the book saying, but God's going to redeem you. You're going to go off into captivity. You're going to suffer through a lot of stuff. you got 70 years to spend in Babylon. But man, the whole time you're there, God's, God's counting down. And when the time's up, when, when, when the sin that you made, and specifically for Israel, their sin was they never let the land have a Sabbath rest. And they had been in the land for 490 years, and they owed 70 years of rest to the land. 
And God said, the land's going to get 70 years of rest. I commanded it. So you're going to Babylon for 70 years and nobody's going to plant anything in these fields. They're going to get 70 years to rest. But man, when that sin is paid for, I'm bringing you out and it's going to be glorious. In the midst of their horrible, and well, let's just read about some of their horribleness. Uh, Ezekiel 16, starting with verse 44. <clears throat> Indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs, and this is not the book of Proverbs, but just if you knew Proverbs, little pithy sayings that, that represent truth, will use this proverb against you, like mother, like daughter. I remember growing up, um, people would say, you want to know what your wife's going to look like in 30 years? Look at her mom. You want to know what your dad's going to look like in 30 years? Look at your, at your future father-in-law. That's it. And there's a lot of truth to that. You know, I, I've said it before. It just scares the, the, the beans out of me. I get up and go into the bathroom every morning. You look in the mirror and my dad's looking back at me. And I'm thinking, how did I get here? This is, this, I don't like this. And I mainly don't like it because it's my dad when he was old that's looking back at me. But <clears throat> it's true. When it, like mother, like daughter. That's what he's, he's showing here. Verse 45, he says, You are your mother's daughter, loathing husband and children. You are the sister of your sisters who loathe their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. Now, if you're a Jew, there's no bigger in, insult than, than um, saying that your mother was a Hittite and your father was an Amorite. That's like looking at somebody who is an IU student and say, your mother and father are Purdue graduates. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. I mean, if, if you really take that rivalry, rivalry serious, and, and, and if you do, we'll have prayer time here at the end. We can pray for you if you think college rivalries are really important. But, you know, it's, I, I know people that take that stuff seriously. And man, they would never, I had a, you know, I've, I've got two degrees from IU, and my son went to Purdue. And, you know, out of, Gina's got a degree from IU, Tiffany has a degree from IU, and everybody looks at me that are IU fans, and they say, where did you fail with your son? It's like, well, you know, I'm not real sure, other than when he was working as an engineer, he made more money in a year than all three of us combined. So, can't really talk too much against him. You know, there was the old joke, IUPUI, they had, and I don't know if this was true or just a story, but it's funny, and I'll tell it. They had a joint graduation, Purdue students on one side, IU students on the other. And um, the, the Purdue graduate or seniors were sitting on the right side, and they were all seated, and the IU graduates started walking in. The Purdue graduates started uh, chanting, we've got jobs, we've got jobs. And uh, IU graduates sort of took it for a little while, and then they started chanting back, working for us, working for us. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's basically, it's that kind of thing that Ezekiel, only he's getting, forget just college rivalry, he's getting down and dirty. You, your mother and your father are the t two of the foulest human groups that have ever been on the planet. The Hittites and the Amorites were, they were cultures that were vile. Verse 46, he says, your elder sister is Samaria. He's not done insulting them. Who dwells with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister who dwells to the south of you is Sodom and her daughters. This is, he's talking to Judah. 
He's finding every vile place that he can think of and saying, this is what you're like. Verse 47, you did not walk in their ways nor act according to their abominations, but as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than, than they in all your ways. You are God's chosen people, and you looked at Samaria, and you looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, and you said, we can outdo them in sin. Man, that's a, that's a, that is a tough judgment. But then in verse 48, he gets to the heart of it. He said, As I live, says the Lord, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. And you know, he's just going to go right to sexual sin, right? She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty. They were disdainfully proud and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Notice what he lists as their sin. We think of Sodom and we think of homosexuality. We think of bestiality. We think of all these horrible sins of the flesh. God looks at them and he says, this was your, part, your, your problem. First of all, you were prideful. Well, what about the sexual sin, Lord? They got there by starting with pride. Look at me. Look at me. I'm something. I'm a self-made man. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Yeah, right. You had fullness of food. It's amazing. I, I just read somewhere in the last two years for the United States, the first time in, in history of, of this country that our, the average age of our population has dropped the last two years running. And it's been primarily because of two reasons, opioid deaths and suicide. You go to third world countries where people are, are slaving for a dollar a day trying to get food in their bellies, nobody commits suicide. They have no suicide rate. You have to go to an advanced country to find people living in the lap of luxury and they get so depressed they want to take their life and 90% of the time it comes down to I, life is just so rough. It's so hard I can't take it anymore. And you know my story. I've been there. I sat on the edge of my bed and planned out how I was going to do it. Because the one thing about men committing suicide and women committing suicide, men do it right. Women fail most of the time because it's usually a cry for help. When a man decides to, to commit suicide, they're dead most of the time. Because they are serious about it and they figure out how to do it and get it done. And that's exactly what my mindset was. I don't want to end up a vegetable, and I don't want my parents or, or, or my brother to have to come in and find a god-awful mess. i got to find a way to get this done, get it done completely. I want to die, but not leave a god-awful mess for my family to clean up. And I, if, if it hadn't been for God coming into my room, I probably wouldn't be here. I was serious about it. That comes down to fullness of food. We are so blessed that we look at other people and think, but, you know, I don't have a boat. I don't have a five-room house. I don't live in a gated community. I have to work and slave to get, just barely get along. And what you don't know is most of those people living in those big gated communities with the boat and the big cars, they also got an eyeball full of debt. They're working 100 hours a week slaving to make the payments on all that junk. And they're more miserable than you are. 
That was Sodom's problem. But then notice what that fullness of food, you'd think, well, if we've got all that food, and I'm going to skip this one, um, we would be generous with it. No, it says, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. This doesn't mean just that they didn't feed the poor. It means that they looked down on the poor and said, you, you are where you are because you are a failure, and I'm not helping you. Just starve. They were disdainful towards the poor. Why? Because they were rich. And if you're one of us, you'll be rich. And if you're not one of us, we don't care about you. You just go starve. We don't care. Leave us alone. But then the, the, where it really gets to us is the one I skipped. Abundance of idleness. It's the old proverb. Idle hands are the devil, devil's playground. The reason they went from, from a prosperous city to God blasting them down to where that, that city doesn't exist today, they had idleness. And in their idleness, they figured out new ways to have pleasure. And the pleasure ha and, and living for pleasure is, is like dealing with narcotics. It works for a while, but then you build up a tolerance to it. It becomes passe. It's the reason that we have a new model car come out every year. Because who wants to drive that one? Now we do occasionally. I, I, don't, I hope this is true. I looked at, at, I think it was a Chevy Chevelle. The, supposedly the, the 2019 looks like the 67 Chevelle. And I'm thinking, wow, they finally figured out something. Let's go back to one that looked nice. But, you know, it's, it's um, you have to do more. You have to have a little more drug to get the high. And pleasure gives you a high. But, but this doesn't give me any pleasure anymore because I've gotten used to it. So I've got to have a little something else. I've got to have a little, and you, that's a slide that you just keep going. You're living for pleasure and, and your activities get more and more perverse. That's the warning. And remember, this is Jude talking to Christians. This is not Jude rebuking the world. This is Jude talking to a group of Christians and saying, you have the same temptation. You look down on Sodom and Gomorrah, but Ezekiel says that they just got prideful and they had all more, enough food that they didn't have to work hard anymore. And they just got so idle that they started inventing ways to stimulate their pleasure. And look where it led. And we have the exact same um, temptation before us. And if you think I'm above that, take heed lest you fall. The pride thing. Luke 18, we all know the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Let's start in verse 10. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. Or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. That's pride. And, and then it goes to the tax collector, standing far off. I would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, there is a danger even there, though, because God just said, if you humble yourself, I'll exalt you. Don't get over into the pride that says, you know, like the, 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 the guy, the old man at the church, the church took a vote and said, this is the most humble man in our presence. 
And they came up with a pin that he could wear on his, on his jacket. Humbleness king. And when he accepted it, they had to take it away from him. We can say that, that I'm just humble. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a worm. No, God said, if you humble yourself, I'll exalt you. If you deny that he's exalted you, now your pride's getting between you and him. So there's a, there, 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 it's almost a paradox there. Well, it's not almost. It is a paradox. Paul said in Ephesians, I have raised you up to make you sit with me in heavenly places. And we think, I, I'm unimportant. I don't, I don't rate. Who cares what I do? Jesus does. He's put you in a position of authority and power in the world. And he's saying, go use my name. Go use my power. Make a difference in your world. And we say, but God, I can't. Why can't you? Well, I just don't have the power. Of course you don't have the power. But Jesus does. And he lives in you, and he's made you to sit with him in heavenly places. Now, the great news for us is, um, um, back in Ezekiel 16, and I'm just going to touch on a couple of these, he's just rebuked Judah and Benjamin for their vileness. But then in verse 60, he says, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. In the midst of their sin, he said, Guys, I just want you to know, you're about to pay a horrible price for your sin, but I'm still on your side, and I will still redeem you. I don't care how bad it gets, how sinful you get, God will always be right there saying, I will lift you up out of this. All you have to do is turn. And you don't even have to get a full turn. You just have to start to turn. And He'll be right there. God's mercy is inexhaustible. God's grace is inexhaustible. He said, I will do it. Not that I have to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can't. I'm in quicksand. The more I struggle, the, sink, the faster I sink. I need somebody outside to pull me up. And God said, I'm willing. I'm going to do it. Just turn to me. Now, it is a warning for us. Don't get into these. Don't start this and think, well, I can just take a little bit of this, you know. It's like I don't, you know, what, what a lot of people don't realize, um, back in the 18th century, uh, 19th century, even more so, they didn't have antibiotics, and, and uh, promiscuity was rampant in a lot of societies, and syphilis was a killer. There was one treatment for syphilis, cyanide. And I'm not talking about killing yourself. I'm talking about low doses of cyanide would treat syphilis, and it was somewhat effective. Not as good as, as antibiotics that we have, but it did work. It's, it's kind of like our, um, the older versions of our, our cancer treatments. They're poisons in large doses, but in small doses, they'll kill cancer. They'll make you sick, and they'll, they'll wreak havoc on your body, but there's a balance there. We want to kill the cancer without killing you. Well, we think that we can take small doses of poison and it won't affect us. Well, it's not a lot. It's just one show. It's just one picture. It's just, it's just a little while I'm taking off. But it starts a habit. That's what Jude's talking about. If you have this, this if you get into this process and you get into this habit, that's what awaits you. 
Well, I, I would never get there. I guarantee you, several generations before God bombed Sodom and Gomorrah out of existence, those cities would have said, this would never happen. I mean, I look at, at just in my lifetime, and I realize I'm an old man, not near as old as old used to be, but I can remember growing up in the 50s, some of the commercials on TV today people would have gone to jail for in the 50s. And we've just become accustomed to it. That's just how the world is. How did we get there? By repetition, repetition, repetition. What shocked us a year ago no longer shocks us. That is a slippery slope that as believers we need to stay away from it. We need to, the, the whole point, and I'm going to quit, the whole point of all of this is we need to dedicate and consecrate. And the key to that is you need to hear from God. We don't need a whole set of rules, black and white, this is how you live to be a good Christian. Well, you have weaknesses that I don't have. I have weaknesses that you don't have. So the things that God tells me I have to avoid at all costs, are my weaknesses. And I may be able, I may have to stay away from those completely. You may, that may not be a temptation to you at all. But there can be things that are strengths in my life, but that's not a temptation. But it is for you. Well, when it comes down to it, that's what Paul says. We, we have to live so that, why he said, nothing for me is sin, but not all things are profitable. I have to live in such a way that my weaker brother does not, I don't bring damage to his life. And again, man, you're tying my hands together. There's nothing wrong with me doing this. I can do that. It's not a sin for me. But it may be a sin for your brother. So it ties your hands. Live so that you bring no temptation to anyone. Boy, when you, when you start trying to live that way, it's a huge constraint on your lifestyle. And most people, like, I'm not doing it. Well, just keep in mind, you're a believer, you're going to make it to heaven, you're already there, but someday you're going to stand in front of Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, and your works as a Christian will be judged. And the ones that you did out of your flesh because you can't put restraints on me, those are wood, hay, and stubble, and they'll be burned up. And the ones that you did because God was impressing you to do, that's gold, silver, and precious stones, and those won't burn up, and that's your reward for all eternity. Now, believe me, having everything you've ever done burn up and having no reward, you're still in heaven. <laughs> that ain't a bad deal. But all i got to do for a, a few years, and believe me, I'm 67 and there are days I look around and I think, how did I get here? How did I get to be this old? Only yesterday I was in high school. And the older you get, the more you realize how quick this life goes. And yet we've got an eternity facing us. To sacrifice for a few years to live God's way, to get an eternity of rewards? Wow! That is the best deal going. But it requires something of us. That's what Jude's warning us about. Don't follow these examples. Counteract these examples. Just tune into God. Get into His Word. Find out what He requires of you. And then do what He requires you to do. And the great news is when He requires you to do it, and you say, I can't do that, it's too hard. He says, I'll give you the power to do it. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.